Hello, and welcome to the Craft Beer Radio pre-show. Oh, it's... hi. Hi. <laughs> Didn't expect that, like, level of introduction, but hey, okay. Hi. Well, mix it up a little bit. Um, it's an interesting day already. Uh, I saw a tweet that said, um, it seems like uh, America's in its final seasons and the writer is just going crazy. <laughs> 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 got a lot of loose ends to tie up <laughs> and jump the shark at the same time yeah um we just uh i mean just happened like a couple hours ago that justice scalia passed away and uh, as, as we talked about before we are never happy when somebody <clears throat> dies but we are i think both of us are happy that he's off the supreme court yes um i feel that his opinions and decisions are not good for a uh, country that needs to move into the future move forward mm-hmm. there are lots of lots of things that i have issues with it's clear there were occasion i mean the dude could write an opinion <laughs> and uh he was as i i believe a very stalwart uh supporter of free speech mm-hmm. if nothing else so i mean there people have good sides and bad sides even uh even people uh that i really dislike Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so Scalia, and then the, the huge—I mean, this is huge news for America. The huge news for the scientific community is the discovery of gravitational waves. The confirmation, well, yes, guess, uh, the observational, well, the discovery. observational discovery, yeah, yeah. The, the direct observation of gravitational waves. Yep, uh, through the LIGO system, and that is really there's so much I could talk about. <laughs> but I, well, I think we could, let's talk about it. I mean, because yeah. I mean. I want to start talking about the actual detector. The detector I think is it's a good fantastic. place to start. <clears throat> so the idea is uh, essentially a, Mikkel, a a larger scale Michelson interferometer. Now the original Michelson interferometer. Everyone's going to know what that is. <laughs> the original Michelson interferometer experiment was the one that led Einstein to relativity. Okay. This was the one where um, it was trying to detect uh, aether, trying to detect. The, mo- the motion of light through okay. ether. Mm-hmm. And the idea was you have these two perpendicular lasers or they were light mm-hmm. sources right. and essentially they will they are exactly tuned to cancel each other out. But if you're moving in a direction that's preferred mm-hmm. then one will be faster than the other and so it, they won't right. they'll, you'll, they'll see a signal. Yeah. So uh, LIGO everyone who's care has already seen this or looked into it but it's do you know how long each run is? They're it's big. F- it's four kilometers long. Okay. Each each uh, leg of LIGO is right. four kilometers. So there's a laser at the at the uh, con- confluence of these two legs that yeah. are at right angles. And it goes through a filter, which splits the beam into two at perpendicular angles. Mm-hmm. The laser goes down, bounces off a mirror. 250 times it bounces. Okay. It does. It, it goes... <laughs> oh, okay. It makes sense. Give me yeah. it longer. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I didn't realize... I. I Okay, I thought it was a down and back thing. The, yeah. the video I watched was just one time, but it makes sense that you know you're bouncing off 250 mirrors. Well, it, it's bouncing off one mirror, but it's bouncing off 250. I mean, before it, it gets yeah. through, before it gets focused into the detector. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, okay, so that makes it 250 times four kilometers, mm-hmm. so a thousand kilometers, and yeah. uh, at that distance, you know, well. Is it is it at that distance because it's covering the same part of space time over? It's covering and over the same again. part of space time, but the idea is that 
ideally uh, a, a tiny perturbation would be magnified. Oh, yeah. Because it would be 250 times as big because mm-hmm. each time it passes. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So, yeah, it, it, since they get split off the same source with some kind of special filter, they bounce off the mirror and come back. And when they come back to that filter source, the waves should cancel each other out, yeah, like you said. Now, if one of the legs is longer than the other leg because of a gravity wave, then they'll be out of phase. So the detector, which is behind that conjoining filter, will see something mm-hmm. where in with the machines perfectly tuned and there's no interference, it's going to be nothing. Yeah. So it's kind of a clever uh, detector, right? Where you don't, other than the noise and getting the thing tuned, you don't have mountains of data you have candidates you have to rule out, you know, mm-hmm. might have been some guy jogging up near the detector or I mean, something. They, they, stuff as little as uh, I, I read or I heard one thing. It was it was a news report that I heard where it was as little as something like some tree logging happening a couple kilometers away. Uh, I should say kilometers away. Uh, that was. Uh, well, it says it can detect like waves crashing on the shore. So the one that's in Oregon, Washington. There's one in um Washington. Yes, one in Washington is one in Louisiana. Well, the one in Washington can detect waves crashing on the shore. And it's not a coastal thing, you know. It's I don't know exactly how many kilometers away it is, but it's far. These are the most sensitive pieces of equipment that I believe man's ever made. It's it's ridiculous sensitive, and in, so that means in order for it to, in order, in order, so it has to be not only a ridiculously sensitive in terms of detecting, you know the 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 minute changes which is mm-hmm. the width changes less than uh, a thousandth the diameter of a proton that's how much the, the signal is but also has to be the most the the most sensitive seismic detector in the world because it has to be able to cancel out when it gets seismic things all types of different things so they probably know when north korea does anything huh? i mean i don't know whether they they know when something happens in the earth that they can right. cancel out. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I don't think they can't really triangulate right. <laughs> that it came from North Korea. Well, they, got, they could use the two. You need three for triangulation. Yeah. Well, you could either say it's in North Korea or at this point out in space. Yes, you could say that there's <laughs> sort of a sphere mm-hmm. that it, it should be occurring in. Nah, you should be able to. Okay, so let's see if it's on a three dimensional thing. Yeah, there'd be a, a circle mm-hmm. on one side, and there'd be a circle across the perpendicular. Remember when the, the Malaysian two. airplane went down, yeah, yeah. and there was mm-hmm. like there was one signal, and so you had like a big circle. Yeah, it's that that same concept. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, very cool. So, lots of interesting articles, not just about LIGO and, and gravity waves, but you know, I saw one that was very optimistic, talking about how this is a the, the golden age of, of physics now because, you know, it took us 50 years to observe the Higgs boson. It took us 100 years to be able to observe uh, gravity waves from when it's they were... It's absolutely a golden age of engineering yeah. for detection of things. Uh, the engineering is now, as far as I'm concerned, way ahead of where the theorists are because the theorists are lost in la-la land. Uh, and the engineers are, are actually making things to mm-hmm. find stuff that we pretty much knew was going to be there. I mean, we had already indirectly detected gravitational waves in, in uh, the Nobel Prize given out for in 93 by a... They detected some a pulsar system, and the pulsar should normally be regular, but they detected the spin down of the pulsar that exactly matched what would happen if a gravitational waves were being emitted by this system. I see. 
And I mean, like, you, if you look at the plot and you look at the data, it's like exactly that. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so uh, it was, um, that was an indirect detection, but now we have a direct detection. And the idea behind a gravitational wave, I was talking to Jeff about, because Jeff was showing some sort of visualization, uh, but it's it's a little bit different than waves, like a linear wave on a, on a beach. It's a little different than electromagnetic waves, which are just transverse, so they go like in one they're like that. They go in a perpendicular, mm-hmm. and they go in the other two perpendicular. It's quadrupole. Now, what that means is you can think about two uh, rubber bands that are like in a plus. Okay. And as one stretches, the other one diminishes, and the other one stretches, the other one diminishes. So what? take your... Instead of rubber bands, make them pieces of string, and then cross them... So each piece of string is a right angle and they're wrapped around each other mm-hmm. because then when you pull the y-axis, the x-axis will shorten. Right, yeah. You pull the x-axis, the y-axis will shorten. So it's because it gives it, sure, rubber bands are stretchy. Space-time can be stretchy, but I think for this diagram, it's not that stretchy. So let's use string and wrap it, it around it each other. It certainly isn't that stretchy. But yeah, so the idea is, is that, that's quadrupole <laughs> as opposed to like, you've heard of dipole, that's one, you know, basically... One uh, mm-hmm. one rubber band has one side, you know, has north and a south, mm-hmm. uh, and so quadrupole is basically north and south and east and west, mm-hmm. and that's and that movement. So a scrunching, so it makes you taller and thinner, right. mm-hmm. and then makes you fatter and squanter. Right, and and that the difference between that or, or the the movement from from one to the other is the amplitude. That right, because it 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 at equilibrium it would be a a sphere. cross, yeah. you know, or if you mm-hmm. drew a drew a cross section of it, it would be a circle, mm-hmm. right? Um, but you know, of your two axes, it would be a plus sign. But because they're not equilibrium, they're flexing back and flexing back and forth. You know, tall Y is longer, X is longer, type thing. There's a really neat, yeah, in the New York Times video. It kind of has this um, exactly, but it's showing it kind of propagating through space. It looks almost like an esophagus swallowing, yeah. but it's not just constricted and pulling things. It's doing this flexing that Greg mentioned. Of course, it's doing this. It, the only problem I have with that, because it's a great animation, but it, it looks like it looks sort of like a worm that's undulating. But, of course, these waves are emanating in spherical. So it's not yeah. a worm. It's a sphere that's moving outward. And so the, the waves are dropping off at one over uh, the radius. So, yeah, so... <laughs> Yeah, this little ball, mm-hmm. and it's kind of squeezing like that. And then that undulation is moving outward. The thing, you know, there's often the the view of, or a model that, that has, like, imagine a mattress or, or, or a rubber sheet where stuff is in mm-hmm. and, and it's pulling down. The, the thing about gravity, think, the thing that you have to understand um, is that it's a really, really, really firm rubber sheet. It's a really, really, really firm mattress. So tiny things don't perturb it at all. You have to have huge, massive amounts of energy to perturb it. And, you know, the Earth perturbs it just a tiny bit. The sun perturbs it, I mean, compared to what happened in in this oh, event sure. to cause this kind of ripple that moves space-time sli- just one thousandth the diameter of a proton at at the point that we're reading. Uh, it's 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 like I mean it's akin to thinking of, of sort of a of something moving through steel, a vibration that moves through like some solid mass. Right. 
as opposed to some kind of stretchy thing. So one thousandth the diameter of a proton gets me wondering, like, what are the smallest things we've been able to measure and where's this compare? You know, I mean, we'd have to look it up, but it's just it makes me think like that sounds like that's pretty small. And that's not even close to the smallest thing that we can theorize about. Well, I'm not talking about theorizing. I'm not talking about theorizing. I'm talking about the engineering again, measuring. I think it's on because you said this is the most might might be the most sensitive tool we've made, which means it might be the smallest distance we've measured. It's on. It's at least close to the threshold. Uh, I mean, because they they couldn't measure this distance before. I think now they or because the. The original LIGO wasn't as sensitive as this. Uh, so, in effect, what that meant was that the distance at which these events had to happen would, was a lot closer. Because this event, when you make it more sensitive, that means that you you can detect less and less of something still happening. So, the distance at which something can happen that you can detect is greater. You're, you're basically opening up more of the sky. And I, I believe that the amount was... With the new advanced LIGO, we can now, uh, quote-unquote, see about uh, 1%, of 1% of the sky or something like that. 1% of, of 1% of the universe, which is a lot. Yeah, so a quick answer here on physics.stackexchange is that the smallest length that has been directly measured is about 10 to the minus 18 meters. And this came out of the LHC. Mm. I don't know where that stacks up to... 10 to the minus 18 versus 1,000th of a width of a proton. Had yeah, we'll have to... Have to make, look it up. I don't have it on yet. We'll probably it. do it. Let's try to remember to do it before the post show. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anyway, yeah, the, the engineering is, is amazing. The, the, the detection is long expected to happen, but it's, you know, mm-hmm. it's cool that there it is, and, and, and it's pretty much... Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think there was really... So, like, the Higgs, there was more worry that it isn't there, right? Because, you know, it wasn't... I don't know. No, no. no. The, well, it it depends on how you look at it. We had already detected three of the four components of the Higgs field. So, unless we were really, really off track... It would have been right. surprising, right? But it didn't seem like it seemed like detecting gravity waves was just an engineering challenge, and not that we might not be looking in the right place. Yes, yeah, exactly. Because we already had that indirect detection; everything seemed to fit exactly like uh, Einstein's theory said. Mm-hmm. There really wasn't. I mean, you would have been hard pressed to find somebody who would say. They didn't think gravitational. I saw existed. a quick little talk of, from Neil deGrasse Tyson, and uh, he made a couple really neat, not really points about uh, the gravity waves per se, but about things in general. And that is, first off, pe- you know, people call him to get his quote on things like LIGO, and he won't talk to them until they've already talked to the scientists who have <laughs> invested in it, you know. And he says he'll tie a nice bow on it at the end, you know, and that's what he's great at. Um, then the other thing was kind of like, what's this matter to to us, right? Well. Back when 
general relativity came out, same kind of thing, like, oh, and then, you know, we launched some GPS satellites, and it turns out it's very, very important. Otherwise, your GPS will be off by, like, 10 kilometers more every day. Yeah, I mean, but it's not like there's a constant calculation. There's an offset, and that's what's There's an offset, but it actually, so, you know, the, the, the things in general relativity come into a very practical effect everyone i think way. the practicality the real practicality and i i saw another in one with the other graph tyson which i you know he does a great job at this stuff i know that you you sometimes have said i don't he's, he's a good communicator he's a good communicator i just like so this talk was not him trying to do a public radio show you know a radio show type thing this was him talking to an auditorium full of science people mm-hmm. at columbia i think so it was it was more so tuned to my ears yeah. right where and and you need science communicators especially with how the dearth of science acceptance right. science uh enthusiasm so i'm not i don't want to knock him for what he does also i'm not going to tune in for every single thing yeah, because no. he's not talking to me exactly yeah uh the the thing that i mean the engineering that went into this, the stuff we've figured out how to do along the way, uh, and the stuff we will continue to do along the way to detect these ridiculously tiny things will benefit us all because, hey, now we have the ability to do all these things that we never had before. I was looking at uh, a in- pretty in-depth um, write-up on the mirrors, the mirrors at the far end and how they suspended them and all the pendulums. These glass tubes. Well, yeah, like quarter of a millimeter glass filaments yeah and then welded with you know glass welds you know that's to keep things from stretching right Mm -hmm. and uh yeah it's like three tiers of pendulums to kind of absorb any kind of shake from you know the the structure that it's mounted in they literally have to compensate for the quantum vibration of the material that is (laughs) (laughs) the level in which we're talking about wow yeah it's uh it's it's remarkable it truly is remarkable. And so, yeah, the the thing to take in mind is not, oh, my God, we've discovered this new thing. What can we do with it? And, and we can observe with it, essentially. We have a new window. It's, an, it's, a, it's a sonar for the universe mm-hmm. that we have. Um, what does it mean? It means that we have built these amazing machines, and we have the technology to do that. Uh, and as we continue to stretch our boundaries is what we know, we will continue to make new ways to find that and that means new things that we can do mm-hmm. all the time new things that we can do uh, and who knows what the next inventor will come up with that will use this stability or these you know oh, right i mean lots of second i mean ligo itself just takes some enterprising scientist to come up with a new test mm-hmm. to discover something else and it might not be astrophysics it could be some kind of earth science thing yeah. you know i mean you know, LIGO is going to be around for years and there's going to be people be able to task it to do certain things. So it's exciting. I mean, I, I know it's it's cliche at this point, but, you know, I bring up these phones all the time that we have with us. And these are fundamentally quantum machines uh, that are filled with all these little quantum devices that we never would have been able to build if we hadn't had scientists trying to look into what the heck was going on with this quantum stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, you wouldn't have... LCDs, you wouldn't have flash memory, you wouldn't have uh, you, you wouldn't have uh, CMOS cameras yeah. there's mm-hmm. so much LEDs uh, 
there's so much here that is just along the way we discover new things and then we learn how to manipulate reality because we're discovering all these Do you things remember work. four years ago when we didn't have blue leds or good blue leds it was it was less it was more than four years yeah. ago i mean it wasn't I, much more i remember the, my ps2 had, had blue leds well, that, that was six the, years the ago um there wasn't there was a time when well, yeah. but it wasn't that long ago that you couldn't get warm white led light bulbs yeah. you couldn't get good led displays you know led light bulbs have gotten super good and relatively cheap and they're going to get cheaper yeah. and cheaper as and you know. but you know it was only a couple years ago relatively a couple years ago well less than 10 that um Stuff like that didn't exist, and now people are like, you know, it, it's so commonplace, and light bulbs are so good. You know, CFs are w- well on their way out now. Yeah. I mean, CFs were a better technology than regular light bulbs of energy, energy efficiency, but they had mercury in them. They had all this other yeah. stuff that was, yeah. bad, that was bad. But now LEDs, I mean, they'll last like 30 years. All my CFs, maybe I wasn't buying good enough CFs, but they let their shit for lifetimes. They're they're burning out left and right, really? and they're only a couple years old. Yeah. Well, replace them with LEDs. Yeah. What we do is and the power that you. Well, use we go around the house, so and I gotta take out a bunch of dimmer switches. That's the thing that sucks. This house has so many dimmer switches mm-hmm. in it, and they do make dimmable LEDs, but they're so expensive compared to the regulars. And CFs were never dimmable. And uh, so, like, there's several places in the house I'm still stuck with incandescents because um, of all the damn dimmer switches. Uh, but we have gone through the lights that are on the most are LEDs, you know, and that's kind of, you know, doesn't make sense to outfit your whole house. If you can do the three lights that are on 80% of the time. Yeah. Yeah, make those the ones that are the most energy efficient and then great and then oh, i'm so happy for the leds because a lot of the lights in the hallways up in the upstairs hallway and in the main entryway and then towards the garage the fixtures had those tiny little candelabra type light bulbs right mm-hmm. and they made cf versions of those but they were not very bright it took forever to warm up so when we turned on the light by the pantry you'd have to wait like five to ten minutes before you could actually see in the pantry um so i've replaced all those just in the last two months with leds and they're like 10 times as bright and they're immediately full power oh, it's so nice mm-hmm. and they're uh the leds seem to be about a fifth of the power maybe a fourth of the power of the cfs they're not a huge say they're not like if you read the label on the box they're comparing it to incandescence yeah, yeah. and they're not like light years better power wise than the cfs no I, yeah but they are light years better power wise than the incandescence yeah. Yep. Did you see the uh, presentation or did you hear anything about the the JPL Europa mission? No. Okay, so they did a live webcast Thursday night starting at like 10 o'clock. And, um, Thursday night? I think it was Thursday. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Thursday I was watching it. So they kind of... I mean, the, the I was so busy like listening to the nonsense that was happening in Oregon the past couple days. I probably slept through. Yeah, no, the JP. It was so <laughs> I, I saw it was coming, and then I was, you know, caught a tweet saying it was starting. So I, I watched it. It was on UStream, and um, they started off one of the Europa scientists talking about just the science that they have from Galileo and whatnot, and the kind of things that they understand things that are still mysteries whatnot and then the second half was the mission manager talking about the more engineering parts of the probe and the mission 
And uh, it was really fascinating. You know, there seems like there's the will in Congress to fund a NASA mission. It, it, there's, is there a lander of some sort planned? They This mission, the mission that they have spec'd out right now and the specs are publicly available is no lander. But Congress has asked them, Congress desires a lander. So they're working a lander into the, the program. Yeah, some sort of, some kind of probe of some sort, yeah. But, you know, again, it's the engineering that humans have done. It's really great stuff. So it would be, it would cost, instead of going into orbit around Europa, because it's not a huge gravity well to get caught in, so you have to burn a ton of fuel. So what they are doing is they're going into orbit around Jupiter. And they're doing this kind of eccentric orbit where it's going to do at least 48 flybys of Europa. And the, the some of them start at like a thousand kilometers, but then they get down to like, uh, probably like 30 kilometers or something like super mm-hmm. close to it. And, um, the, it's, they have, they have the whole orbital dynamics calculated out so they can, they're map the entire surface yeah. of Europa, um, because they're talking about the le- the lever, like when it's going way out, like doing this orbit, since the lever's so long, they can adjust the spacecraft to to re-engage the same part of Europa if they find something interesting. So the next time around, and also this kind of uh, cadence allows them to, when it after the flyby, point to Earth, send the data down from the flyby. So they're able to, instead of just doing like, um, you know, like a single flyby and mm-hmm. send it type thing, they're like, record data, send home, record data, send home. And... Uh, else is interesting about it maybe a lander lander is not going to be anything that's going to be a submarine yeah, yeah it might be able to burrow itself a few feet into the or a meter into the ice to kind of protect it from the but it's like two kilometer stick right i mean at least 20 20 kilometers. okay yeah yeah the ice is 20 kilometers thick the ocean underneath it i think is typically about 100 kilometers um, because of the gravity of Europa, the bottom of the ocean will have the same pressures as the bottom of the Marianas Trench, even though it's seven times deeper. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's uh, reassuring because life lives down at the bottom of the Marianas Trench. You know, that pressure, those pressures aren't bad for the life that we know. Uh, they think that the ocean's salinic, uh, you know, has a, has a high salinity to it. Um, it might be like Epsom salts and magnesium salt that they've seen. It's either that or it's battery acid. And the reason they say this is because there's been places where there's been seepage to the surface or something like that. But the battery acid might be from the magnesium salts being bombarded with radiation from Jupiter. I, I wouldn't be surprised give it uh, several billion years if some life starts to be able yeah. to work in, in battery the, um, acid. Oh, so one thing I wanted to mention was not going into orbit around Europa, coming up with these orbital, they're calling them petals, uh, saved quarter of the mission budget Mm -hmm. and they're hoping that the sls is ready it'll save them five years off the transit to jupiter sure if the sls is ready if sls isn't ready they're going to have to do an inner a tour of the inner solar system we're going to have to do a uh earth venus earth yeah you got to build up that delta v somehow yeah they got to do earth venus earth earth to get out there um and the the program manager is like he's not a fan of that one because it the the mission in at Europa will be beyond his after his retirement yeah. from NASA. So he's hoping that the SLS is ready. <laughs> and he says even if it's a year late, that's still four years earlier than going traditional. Mm-hmm. 
um, what else? So it was a really good talk, you know. It was not NASA doing anthropomorphic robots talking to kids <laughs> in kindergarten. You know, it was, it was again, talking to my ear, yeah. you know. And uh, it was... NASA for babies. <laughs> it was really interesting. I'm trying to think if there's anything else noteworthy about that. Yeah, I, I think I'm done with the the Europa mission. I love this. You you put this tweet, or you uh, took a picture of this tweet that uh, a guy from the Washington Post put out, which is uh, Rubio broke his tooth, and <laughs> so the guy put out a tweet that said, "Breaking." <laughs> Rubio says a trick bar that broke his tooth was frozen. I loved that. <laughs> um, <laughs> just putting the breaking in front, and like, the formatting of it, it was perfect. Mm-hmm. I love that. You know, Rubio had to do damage control on on chipping a molar. Had to explain that he doesn't have pussy teeth that can't eat a candy bar. <laughs> Presidential <laughs> politics. Presidential <laughs> politics. Oh, so, um... <laughs> wow. There's a bunch of, of, of Twitter stuff that happened this week with me, uh, including a big, uh, a, like, the night after our show, I, had a, I got into a big Bitcoin argument with a guy in the, that uh, basically I schooled him. Nice. Yay, me! <laughs> uh, but... Another thing that happened was just recently, I mean, I, I was, I, I, was Thursday the Democratic debate? I, I saw know. a little bit of it, and I was just like, Trump might win. <laughs> I saw your tweet. Um, I saw the one about the vulgar or whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that one was pretty insightful. What was that? That was, you know, um, so, culture's yeah. more vulgar, so maybe the uh, politicians should follow suit. Yeah, I said uh, the first one was starting to think Trump will win. He'll be like a Reagan, a dumb puppet with charisma. Maybe fitting for the world we're living in? <laughs> and then yeah, the second one was, I don't know, maybe everyone needs to accept that the culture is more vulgar now, which means our politicians have to follow suit. Uh, yeah. Right? I mean... He says the things everyone else is scared to say. Right. I did get a response from, uh, from Yeast Herder. He said... Uh, who responded about my first one and said, he's far worse than Reagan. He will unleash a tsunami, a tsunami of stupid and the USA will be worthy of the title of failed state. And I, my response was, I'm no Trump fan, but the world will not be plunged into everlasting darkness if he's elected. We even survive Cheney. <laughs> That's Jeff from Australia, if you don't remember. Oh, okay. Yeah. I... I mean, it, it, it's everyone always thinks the world's going to end <laughs> all the time. Did you see that thing, that goofy thing I posted about Obama goes on kingly vacations? Yes. The main yes. reason I posted that was because my uh, godparents' son, you know, posted that up on Facebook. You know, like, he's got to get it now. <laughs> Obama spent $5 million on vacations. You know, yeah. four and a half million was the uh, Air Force One. Right. Uh, oh, we should have just taken coach. Why didn't Obama just take you know, coach? Fly. Go on Expedia. Exactly. And uh, I did have another Trump tweet, though, that uh, I said, what if Donald Trump has stopped having fun and wants to sabotage his own campaign? How would we tell? <laughs> Come on, guys! Don't vote for me. <laughs> Poll leads for it. Yeah, uh, I mean, everyone like no one likes it when people curse. I'll, I'll just start cursing. 
And, oh, no, he's just telling it like it is. Fuck. Uh, I'll just say the most ridiculous thing possible. Um, Cocker Spaniel should be illegal. Yeah, that's right. Cocker Spaniel should be illegal. Oh, oh my Cocker God. Spaniel. <laughs> 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 I'm sure there's a movie, Idiocracy Part 2 or something, mm-hmm. where it's like that exact plot line. Yeah. Like, he's trying to, everything he can to get out of it, and everything he says gets him more endeared to the... Well, it's sort of the producers, right? It, it's... <clears throat> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I knew I've seen it somewhere. <coughs> Springtime for Hitler. Um, did you... Uh, oh, yeah, where did Ray get her exit? Where did Ray get her exit? Well, Ghost of Obi-Wan, duh. <laughs> When she's sleeping, he's talking mm-hmm. to her. <laughs> yeah, that's how she got trained. He was doing subliminal sleep learning on her. That should have been in the movie. Subliminal sleep learning. It's the Force, right? Who knows? The Force doesn't work like that. <laughs> exactly. You ever see a four-headed penis before? Um, in my nightmares? <laughs> We were, uh, Ellie was uh, one of the Wildcrats. New episode on on Platypus. They had a four. Oh no, they had, they had, a, they had an episode. This on, is a better show than I thought. Exactly, was. episode on Platypus, and you know Platypus is part of a very narrow, ancient line of mm-hmm. mammals because they lay eggs. There's only one other uh, species, the echidna, and uh, so here's uh, I was reading up on the echidna, and they have a four headed penis. It's pretty big, and. Um, Basically, there's two oh, two reproductive tracts or two ovary, ovarian tracts in the female. So, like the echidna, like the two heads that are facing it will engorge, and the other two will shrink, and it shoots the stuff the right direction. And and then the other fascinating thing I, I posted was uh, that the the sperm bundles, like you have a hundred individual sperm that'll bundle together, and it's caused to move very quickly in a very organized fashion, causing them to be much more effective working as a team than alone. And uh, it says, that, you know, like female echidnas are basically um, cum dumpsters when they're mating. Like like the male echidnas will literally line up <laughs> and have their way with the female echidna. If it works, it works. <laughs> it's a gangbang. So um, you got to have the fast sperm, I guess. They gang, they, they bundle together. And Do they have to sign the release beforehand and get the... <laughs> <laughs> are they fluffers working? <laughs> Uh, speaking of penises, as long as we're on the top topic, did you see this report recently? Fossil daddy long legs sports a 99 million year old erection. I have not seen that one. Yeah. This is, they found a harvestman, which is not a spider technically, it's mm-hmm. interactive, but, um, it has an erection that has been preserved for 99 million years. Nice. Call your doctor. <laughs> your erection lasts for 99 million years. Tell your friends. <laughs> That's a tiny little spider. His that his whole body is, well, it's tiny little arachnid. His whole body is like what a millimeter, a little over a millimeter. Yeah, yeah, probably two millimeters. That's hung like an arachnid. <laughs> hung like an arachnid. <laughs> um. So there are two. I mean. The, there are two things that could have happened here, or many things, but the two most plausible theories are one, he was in the middle of some uh, harvestman coitus and uh, was interrupted by being amberfied. The other one is that he was 
struggling, I guess it would be he, uh, was struggling, and uh, so parts of his body got stuck and stretched. <laughs> got uh, pumped up with energy. You know, pumped up mm. and filled with blood and stuff, so. Okay. Yeah. Spider penises. Spider erection. Not just spider penis. Spider erection. Awesome. Yeah, penis stuff. Um, do you want to talk? Do you want to talk about Peyton Manning and the beers he likes to drink in the main show? Or? Yeah, let's do that in the main okay. show. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't sure I wanted to gratify it, but it's a beer topic. I, yeah. I figure it's it's worth it's worth the main show. Um, I, I, in terms of uh, subtle advertisement, it's possibly one of the least. Subtly, subtle advertising things I've ever seen, but um, hey. well, NFL players aren't allowed to endorse things like that. Well, like they can't say. What are they going to do to Peyton Manning? Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, he's probably retiring anyway. Yeah. He can afford it. You know, Budweiser will pay the fine, mm-hmm. but like you know, you can't say. You know, I'm going to go listen to my Beats headphones, or you know. <laughs> Actually, yeah, but I think Bose is the sponsor, right? So, yeah, you can't say, you know, I'm going to listen to my Beats headphones and wear my Under Armour, you know. Wow. So that's why it seems so out of place is because it doesn't happen because generally football players aren't allowed to endorse things like that. Um, we can talk about the main show. Yeah. There was apparently a Budweiser. I didn't watch any of the ads from the Super Bowl, so I didn't. There were some good ones. There were. Well, that, that's not what everybody not says. Great, well, not great ones, but there's... But you know, I, I saw, like, one, like, crack did a, did a thing about some of the ads. I saw, like, the, the monkey baby... Monkey... Puppy monkey baby. Puppy monkey baby. Puppy monkey baby. Disturbing. Well, um, it's disturbing. Um, that was the kid's favorite, so... Yeah. Um, and... Some... Something about farts or something. I don't know. Farts. Yeah. I don't know. I'm glad you liked my my tweet about the halftime show. Which was it? <laughs> it was the um, there was a headline about how the guests overshadowed Coldplay. So my tweet was like, "It was Coldplay. Wasn't oh, that, yes, wasn't yes. that the whole point? <laughs> it's Coldplay. Wasn't that the whole point? <laughs> what doesn't yeah, overshadow did, Coldplay I, I in a, like a full room? Yeah." Should we move on? Uh, let's move on, yeah. Let's wrap this pre-show. All right. <laughs> 